Good evening. It is good to see each one of you. It is good to be together on a Sunday evening to worship God. If you'll be turning your Bibles to Revelation, we'll be looking at a few paragraphs in the third chapter. I believe that's on page 1089 in the Bibles that's in your pews. It's the last book of the Bible. And uh, we won't have slides tonight on the screen. So open your Bible and we'll study there beginning in just a few minutes. Uh, we are thankful for the baptisms and rejoice with the heavenly host. Those three individuals were mentioned this morning. We appreciate Carrie and Michael and Larry. And uh, what, a, what a wonderful, wonderful event to see hearts tender, yielding to the will of God and, um, and to know that lives are committed. And we are thankful. It encourages us. And we hope that we can walk together from here to eternity, encouraging each other. We think about we are the sermon day coming up. I want to ask you to be praying every day this week for that. Simply be praying, well, whatever you want to be praying about it, but I would ask you especially to be praying that whatever God wants to be accomplished in that work, there are going to be a lot of folks out working. And let's just pray that whatever God wants to be accomplished in that day will be accomplished in that day. Uh, we do. Uh, welcome and so glad that John and Jessica are here tonight. We love you. We appreciate the work uh, that you've been involved in in Haiti. We're glad that you're safe uh, after the hurricane and that you're here uh, safely. And uh, we wish you guys well. We, we appreciate so much your faith and your life in ministry. Have you ever had those moments that really in the big scheme of things, they're just really small, but they're just good. They're just right. Uh, I want to tell you this on the lighter side to then spend the rest of the evening for us thinking about the much more important side. How awesome is it going to be to step over into eternity and enter into heaven and just know and experience that everything is right? You know that feeling? When you, it's just like, this is right. Well, we don't really know that feeling, but you know kind of what it's like on earth when something goes right. And you're like, oh, that's so good. What's that going to feel like for eternity? Let me tell you what happened to me the last couple of days. I was uh, speaking at, at a lectureship on Friday afternoon and Saturday morning. And I was flying out to it. And, and I knew that I was going to be walking through a lot of airports. And so when I was getting ready that morning... I've shared with a lot of you, Tracy dresses me, okay, it's all, and so she's, she's putting the clothes out that I wear, and she just says, she says, you're going to wear your old shoes, aren't you? Well, naturally, I, you know, all that, well, yes, I'm going to wear my old shoes. Well, there's probably something you my old shoes. I threw them away about a year ago, and I literally went back the next day and dug through the trash and got them back out because like I just can't part with my old shoes like it's my old brown shoes these are my new brown shoes and when I bought these shoes I threw those away but then after I wore these once I went back and got those out but but the brown shoes that I love to wear and usually that's what I wear they have holes in the sole both right at the ball of your feet in both shoes so when I'm at home I look at the weather and if it's raining I don't wear them and if it's if, if, if it's not raining, I wear them. And so, so, but I was thinking about all that walking. I said, yeah, I'm, I'm going to wear my old shoes. 
well, I've told you, you know, I, on the plane, I'm always studying. And so, so I'm just, I'm engrossed in studying. And, and the girl sitting over two seats next to the window, she's afraid of heights, I hear her say. So she keeps the, the window shade pulled down the whole time. That's cool. We land and she opens the window shade. And I hear her say, oh, it's raining. And I thought, I mean, that's the first time I tuned in to kind of anything she said. And I was like, oh, no. That's not good because I've got to go the rest of the day and into the evening and I'm going to have wet feet for the rest of the day and in the evening. And so I think, I wonder if there's any way I can get to the rental car without getting my feet, my socks, my feet wet. And so there's no way. And so I'm walking there and, and after just five or six steps, I don't know if you've ever had holes in your shoes, but it didn't take many steps for you to really get saturated. And so, so I'm, by the time I get to my car, my socks and my feet are soaked. And even though it's not cold outside, it was that cold, wet feeling. And so I'm, I'm on my way driving and, and I got to speak that afternoon pretty quickly. And I'm on my way and I thought, oh, what I'd give right now for dry feet. And, and then I noticed the hotel I stand in was on the way. I thought, you know what? I have enough time to stop in and change socks and then I can go on. And so I checked in the hotel and I rushed upstairs and I got a pair of socks out and, and then I put my hand in my shoe. I thought, well, that's not gonna do any good. My shoe is soaked on the inside. And so then, and I'm, I'm in a hurry. So you can imagine what this looks like. And so then I'm like, hair dryer. So I went and I went to the bathroom and I stuck a hairdryer in one of the shoes and, and I turned it on for a couple of minutes. And so now I'm back in, I'm putting my socks on and I go back and I pull the hairdryer out, put my hand in, dry as the desert, perfect, warm and dry. So I stick it in the other one. And just as I'm leaving the, the bathroom there, it overheats, it kicks off. And so I do the reset button, it won't come back on. I unplug it, it won't come back on. And I even do this walk back and forth a couple of times when I have nowhere to walk to. It's just that desperate feeling of, I can't, because you know, it's worse when you have a wet foot and a dry foot because the dry foot's reminding the wet foot how comfortable it is. And so I'm thinking, I can't go all day, this is terrible. And, and so I'm just, and so I'm kind of pacing a couple of times I'm thinking, okay, I'm running out of minutes. I'm just going to have to put the wet shoe on and go. And then as I'm pacing, I look over and I think, What's the odds that you can microwave a shoe? <laughs> and and she so go over and I put it I put it on 12 seconds. I know with my mama's bread that's the magic number. And so that's what I'm thinking. 12 seconds has always been good to me. And I put it in there and as I hit the start button it does dawn on me. Is there any chance that this would like get on fire? Is there is there you know and and instead so I think maybe I better watch it back and I start watching it and nothing happened except it operated. After 12 seconds, I opened the door. I put my hand in. It's dry and it's warm. And I put those shoes on. And even though this sounds silly, I rushed out of that hotel door and I was walking on cloud nine. I was like, this is awesome. This is great. I don't know when's the last time you've had one of those moments where you're like, that worked out just right. Can you imagine living your life on this earth with all the struggles that we face because we're imperfect? All of the disappointments that we have because we're on a flawed earth. All that we deal with because we have bodies that are gonna get sick and, and the people we love are gonna get sick. And, and sometimes when we think things are great, we get a phone call and find out things aren't great. And so on this earth, there's a lot of ups, but there's also a lot of downs. Can you imagine what it's gonna be when we step over into heaven and it's not gonna take but just, just a moments of time that we're gonna be like, 
This is it. This is perfect. This is wonderful. And we get to spend forever there. We've been looking at the seven churches of Asia and not really trying to study every detail of them. All we've tried to do is give a brief introduction of each of the seven churches of Asia and then say that this template that, that these seven epistles uh, are written by, it's very similar for each of them. And toward the end, what each one of these churches is told is a motivation of why it's worth it. And we'll use the language it uses, the, the epistle uses, to overcome. And the Greek word there for is Nike, or it's the idea to be victorious. And so the motivation to overcome, he doesn't write to the seven churches of Asia and say, let me talk to you about some earthly reasons it's worth it to overcome. He goes right for the, the, the big reasons, the best of reasons. And every reason he gives that's worth it for us to remain faithful on this earth and overcome is because of the great spiritual reasons that are there in heaven. Now, we know that the book of Revelation is written in signs and symbols, and it may very, be, very well be that even some of, of these promises that he was made about those that will overcome, they may carry with them very significant symbols. But whatever they're representing, it's telling us this is going to be great. This is going to be wonderful. And so we've looked at five of these, and tonight I'd like for you to join with me, and we're going to look at the last two. We are in Revelation, the third chapter, and I'd like for you to notice when we read about the church of Philadelphia in the third chapter in verse 7, you remember this is one of the two churches that was living such a faithful life in such difficult times their faithfulness was so great that he had nothing negative to say to them. In other words, when it came time in the template to tell them, hey, this is what you're doing wrong and you need to repent, Philadelphia didn't have that part of the template. Apparently their faithfulness was so great that, that he just commends them. And so you notice there he addresses them in verse seven and, and when the Lord identifies who he is writing to them, it, it, still in verse seven, he says, these things says, he who is holy, he who is true, he who has the key of David, he who opens and no one shuts and shuts and no one opens. He says in eight, I know your works. Remember we talked about that's kind of a neutral word. Okay, so are their works gonna be good or are they gonna be bad? Notice how good they are. He says, I see I've set before you an open door and no one can shut it. For you have a little strength have kept my word and have not denied my name. Now, when we skip down to... Uh, well, and in verse nine, he points out that indeed I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say they are Jews and are not, but lie indeed, I will make them come and worship before your feet and to know what I, and to know that I have loved you because you have kept my command to persevere. Hang on to that, how beautiful that is. They've gone through so much and he says, because you've kept my command to persevere, I also will keep you from the hour of trial which shall come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. Behold, I am coming quickly. Notice that. Behold, I'm coming quickly. Hold fast what you have that no one may take your crown. He who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God and he shall go out no more. I will write on him, and this is what we're gonna capitalize on, 
the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my God, and I will write on him my new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the church. When he says in verse 8, you have a little strength. At first glance, that may seem very negative. In other words, oh, so you're not a congregation of great strength. You're a congregation of little strength. But notice they're going through severe persecution and he's saying you're persevering. I think maybe the best way to understand what he means when he says you have little strength is to think about heavyweight boxers. In the first round, you may see their strength and, and how hard they punch and you may recognize fully their strength. But then imagine you go to the 15th round. They're still the same individual. And in a sense, they're still the same strong individual. But what do you notice by the 15th round? You notice that at that particular point in time, their punches aren't as strong. Why? They're growing weary. Now, are they ceasing? Are they stopping? No. It's just, hey, the first 14 rounds have really taken a toll on me. Well, boxer, are you just going to lay down and give up? No, I'm still here. For, and so you look at this man, this boxer, and you say, yes, they're still strong. But right now at this moment, they have kind of a little strength. That's what he's saying about them. It's not a negative statement. He's talking about how much they've already given and that they won't give up. And they still are willing to persevere. And they're commended for that. Now, if they will overcome, he says, I want to give you a new name. I want you to think about home. The eternal home, given that new name, is going to be awesome. I know we all grew up a little bit differently, and some of the things that I would remember about home might not be exactly like your home and vice versa. And I guess if you grew up kind of in a larger city or suburb or metropolitan area, it might not have as much meaning and heart. Surely you could understand it, at least in intellect. But you know, when you grow up in rural America, because generation after generations of families live in the same community, it really does matter what your last name is. Growing up, a regular question that you were asked out in the country when you met somebody is, What's your last name? Shannon? Oh, so you're Roy's boy. Yes, sir. It, it was a way that by your last name, they placed you. And they also, whether you like it or not, they drew a type of conclusion about what kind of person you were. And so the idea when he says, I'll give you a new name, if you didn't grow up in an environment like that, you might think, well, what's the big deal about having a name? I'd say to you, what's the big deal about having a good name? If you grew up in a small town with a good name, you were given a gift that you didn't even deserve. You were given a great gift and you didn't do anything except you were just given that name when you were born. I think about on our mailbox. Our name was there. I think about beside our front door, you know, none of the houses that were old country homes, none of us had a doorbell. But we kind of did have a doorbell. It was just literally a bell beside the door. And you rung the bell. 
That bell had the name Shannon on it. I think about going in first grade or fourth grade, various grades in school. Teacher would look down at the last name and one of the first things that would say is, she called one of my grandparents. Oh, you're, are you Arliss's grandson? I know you. Well, they didn't really know me. They knew my name. They, they knew where I came from. Years ago, I shared this story with you, but in, in high school, I had a Palomina mare, and I really wanted a Palomina coat, and so the thought was the best odds is if I could find a Palomina stallion. And so we kind of went around, you know, before the days of doing everything online is where you got in the truck and drove everywhere. And so went around looking for a stallion and toward the end of a Saturday, this fella told me, he said, I can tell you where a stallion is like you're looking for. And so he told a guy's name and he told us how to get there. And we drove way out. Like I lived out in the country, but this was, you drove down a dirt road for a long, long way in the middle of nowhere. Then you turned off the dirt road onto a little lane that was kind of like his driveway and you drove up to what the best way I can tell you so you can picture is you just drove up to kind of a shack and there's this little shack there and it has a little front porch and some little slabs for steps and we should have known it was a summer night and so it was already starting to get dark which meant it was about an hour past this guy's bedtime and and we should have known that and truthfully I think it actually went through my mind but you know when you're young and hey we've been looking for this and I want to find it today and so my buddy and I, we, we go up on the front porch and we knock on the door and you can hear the window, windows rattle. And we knocked again on the door. The door opens slightly and a barrel of a shotgun comes out. And you hear a gruff voice that says, what do you boys want? Well, we started talking pretty quickly. I said, sir, I'm David Shannon. This is my buddy Todd Freeman. We're looking for a Palomino stud. So-and-so told us that you have one. I just wanted to know if you would be willing to show it to me and see if we could strike some kind of agreement. I'd like to get a mare bread. Said it really quick. I didn't know how much time I had. <clears throat> he says, Shannon. Yes, sir. You know Haynes Shannon. Yes, sir. That's my grandfather. Son, if I'd known as your grandfather, I'd have shot you before your foot hit the first step. <laughs> he didn't laugh. And so at that moment, I've got two things running through my mind. My last name usually is tied with integrity and hard work and treating people right. I didn't deserve that. I was given that. And so my thought is, usually people don't dislike me when they hear my last name. So hopefully this guy's kidding, but usually you expect somebody to smile and lower the barrel. He didn't either. And so after the appropriate pause, he finally lowered the barrel. He put it behind the door jamb as he was saying, son, let me grab my boots and, we'll, and, and grab a light and we'll go out to the barn and I'll show you that stud. I'm pretty sure that guy would not have gotten out of bed and gone out to his barn if my last name would have been something different. Can you imagine going into heaven and being given a name that you don't deserve? But it's the name of our God, whatever that means. And it's a name that says, you belong here.
a name that will identify you so you can honestly say, my father owns this. How awesome is heaven going to be? The proverb writer said a great name, a good name, is rather to be chosen than great riches. Do you realize how good your name is going to be in heaven? Now, if that doesn't mean a lot to you, you're not understanding it. Because for this church that had been given so much and they were worn down so much, he makes this promise, I'm going to come quickly. You just hold on. And if you'll hold on and if you'll overcome, I'll give you something grand. Okay, what are you going to give us, Lord? I'll give you a new name. What a blessing. Let's look at the next church. The next church is the church of Laodicea. It's a church that he did have some negative things to say about them when he says in 15, still in Revelation, the third chapter, I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. I could wish you were cold or hot. So then, because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Because you say I'm rich, have become wealthy, and have need of nothing, and do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. See, he gives those lists of three things there because history tells us that this was a banking center, and so they looked at themselves as being very rich. Also, history tells us that, that Laodicea was known for an eye ointment. That, that like a medical product that they could rub on eyes in some way it would heal eyesight. And so they looked at themselves as, as being the place that people would come if they wanted to see better. And then also they had a very expensive dark or black wool that, that made very nice clothing and they had plenty of it. And so isn't it interesting that he says there, you think you're rich, but you're poor. You think you have products to really help the eyes, but yet you're blind. You think you have some of the nicest wool clothing that there is, but the truth is you're naked. You see what he's doing? He's literally playing on the things that physically they prospered to show that spiritually you're not doing so well in these areas. And so notice what he says to them when he says in 18, he wants to give them advice. He says, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire that you may be rich and white garments, that you may be clothed, that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed and anoint your eyes with eyesalve that you may see. And all that spiritual promises and language that he's calling them to do and telling them they can have. But then notice they were lukewarm. And notice what he says in 19, instead of being lukewarm, he says, as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. That's Hebrews 12 type language, isn't it? That a father that loves you, chastens you and disciplines you. So now notice this, therefore be zealous, not lukewarm, be zealous and repent. Now, in just a few minutes, we're going to sing a song of invitation. I want you to think about this in verse 20. Behold, this is the Lord talking to us. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. To him who overcomes, to him who is victorious, I will grant you to sit with me on my throne 
as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the spirit says to the churches. Our Lord knows how hard it can be on this earth. And he speaks of the fact that he overcame and the reward that he received was that he ascended up into heaven and he sat on the right hand throne of God. And now the last of these seven churches, he offers the same reward to us. And he says, if you overcome, do you realize the seat that I'm saving for you? When you think of home, you think of seats, don't you? Like if I say to you, your, your kitchen or your dining room table, odds are you immediately picture where everybody had their place. It was their seat. We had a little round table. You only have one sibling. We have a round table that, that we ate all of our meals at. I don't remember ever the order being different than my chair, my sister straight across, my dad on the left, and my mom on the right every time. You know what it is to walk to your, your seat? I think about the, the front porch swing we had. That was my place after school when I was in elementary school, and, and, um, which you can probably tell by me preaching to you. I had difficulty in learning to read. I'd go out after school every day. That's where I learned to read, was sitting in that seat. And when I left home, I asked mom and dad, could, could I have the front porch swing? And now it's on our back porch, and our kids grew up in it, and it's just something special about seats that are special to you. I think about the times, both of my grandparents, I think both of their front porches, how many times we sat in those front porch swings together. Those were special seats for me. I think about where I sat when I went to both of my grandparents' house and the, the chairs that, that I sat in. I think about our growing up out in the country, our country store. It had an old church bench on the front porch of the country store. <laughs> How many times us guys met up there and we sat on that, that seat. And we had a lot of good times sitting in that seat. When you're going somewhere, what does it mean if somebody that means a lot to you says, I'm going to be there. And what does it mean to you if that person that means a whole lot to you says, not only am I going to be there, I'll save you a seat. Brethren, there's nobody been, there has never been anybody like this. This is a standalone. Our Lord tells us, I'm going to prepare a place. And he literally says, I'll be there and I'll save a seat for you if you'll overcome. His grace and his mercy is something we don't deserve, but we do have to be willing to overcome. We have to be willing to persevere for like the church of Laodicea. They were kind of there, but kind of not enough. They weren't cold, but they weren't hot. They were lukewarm and he says, that's not going to be enough. But if you're willing to repent and instead of being lukewarm, if you're willing to be zealous, I've got a seat saved for you. Now, you know what the implied opposite of that is. The implied opposite is the Lord saying, 
If you're going to stay lukewarm, I don't have a seat reserved. Have you ever been homesick? That's the worst feeling in the world. I remember as a child, a few times I was homesick. I'd give anything that I had to give in order to go back home. I wanted the surroundings of my home and I wanted the people that made up my home. When we talk about what's the best part of heaven, what's the worst part of hell? I assume the best part of heaven is being in the presence of God. The worst part of hell is being, se the worst part of hell is being separated from God. But you know what else I think is going to be a really, really terrible thing about hell? Is that our soul is designed to go home. And if we miss home, our soul will be homesick for an eternity. We will know beyond any shadow of a doubt we've missed home. We've missed the very thing we've been designed for. We will never find ourselves separated from God for an eternity and say, oh, I'm, I'm starting to grow comfortable with this. Every moment we will know we're not at home. And I'm sure there's a lot of other things that scriptures tells us about what hell is that's going to be horrible too. But I know this. I know a little bit about what homesickness is like. And I know I don't want to be homesick for an eternity. I try to understand a little bit about what God's like. And I know I want to be in the presence of God for an eternity. There's a lot of good reasons to live the Christian life, even on this earth. But if you really want to talk about the motivation of why to live the Christian life, the great motivation is everything that is waiting for us. I hope you can honestly say, I want to go home. Because there's nothing, nothing like that heavenly home that waits. We're about to sing a song of encouragement. And it's to encourage all of us to just think about all that the Lord has offered us in saving us, but also to encourage anyone that's not saved to not leave here not saved. Leave here tonight with your life and your faith devoted and committed to the Lord of heaven that's sitting on the right hand throne of God that is literally saying, I am saving a seat for you. Come home. If you're ready this evening to be baptized into Christ for the mission of your sins because you're a believer, you're willing to repent of sins, please do that tonight. Maybe you have begun that journey of living the Christian life and, and things have distracted you, sin has separated you from God and you're ready tonight to be restored. You want to pray forgiveness. We would be honored to pray with you. Don't leave here tonight not ready to go home. If we can help you, come as we stand.